When you walk into a store, who provides your first impression? The frontline worker. But the competition for retail talent is intense. How can retailers attract and retain quality talent in such a competitive space? I'm Greg Thomas, and today on the Workday Podcast, we're talking about the battle for retail talent. I'm joined today by Chris Cameron, Managing Director at Deloitte Consulting. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks for uh, having me. Very excited about this topic. Uh, it's awesome that you're here. So let's let's just start with you. And tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be in retail and, and what you do at Deloitte. Absolutely. So I have over 20 years of experience delivering finance and HR transformations to a variety of types of clients and across various industries. A lot of retailers, from some mid-sized all the way up to the largest global retailers. The retail industry has been transformed over the last, whatever your time frame is, 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, what are the biggest challenges that, that you hear from the folks that you work with today in the retail space? So it's really difficult to deal with the amount of turnover we have in the retail space. I can tell you um, there was an article I read recently talking about a convenience store, a national convenience store called Come and Go, and they talked about their turnover rate had escalated to 160%. Right. How is that even possible? How is that possible? It, it's, it's staggering. And when they estimated their average cost to attract and land and train someone was around $1,500, it becomes a significant financial problem as well. And I think while not all retailers ultimately share that turnover rate, one that the folks at that convenience store change did turn around, they did bring it down, but it, it's one that is difficult to kind of right the ship too far. We're an industry that is rooted in seasonality. And so in part that contributes to that attrition rate. On the other hand, we're also working with an hourly workforce today who has, first of all, a really tight labor market. We're operating in an employment um, state where we have record low unemployment. And at the same time, we also have more and more apps, phone apps, that hourly workers can leverage to be able to either more simply apply for jobs or potentially switch jobs. Hmm. That's an interesting sort of facet to this, right? I mean, technology changing, not just the landscape for retailers in terms of their core business, but even in terms of how they're, they're, they're getting their employees. Yeah, very much so. And I, again, I think when we look at the challenge that retailers and anyone trying to employ these hourly workforces face, they're multifaceted. Uh, first are some of the uh, bigger trends that are influencing that workforce. I've mentioned one of them a second ago. You know, another is that a lot of folks in the hourly workforce demographic lack access to reliable transportation. This creates some real challenges around being able to meet up with certain work schedules or even to be able to um, commit to full-time work. And so when we look at those dynamics, that contributes to the challenge of both attracting folks and being able to keep them as steady employees. There's also within retail, you mentioned, it's such a seasonal business and there's a lot of seasonal hiring, seasonal turnover. What do you, what do you tell your clients about how to think about the way to strategically approach that ramp up, ramp down, and maybe bringing people back next season? So I think a couple of things on that front, Greg. First of all, our 
clients and companies who are in this space think about it uh, early. So they're obviously planning for all of this well ahead of time. With that in mind, I think it's also a matter of how we're reaching the demographic of the target worker we want to bring aboard. So when we look at that seasonality, sometimes we're trying to track workers who are basically coming in potentially off of college or university schedules, might be getting part-time workers from other places. And where are we going to have them finding our jobs? So I think in that case, mobile. We're seeing more and more job applications completed on the mobile device than ever before, especially in that demographic. And at the same time, a lot of folks in that demographic, mobile devices might be their primary way they're accessing the internet and broadband. And so I think a real eye to how that is going to appear on a mobile device and being very clear in the types of jobs that we're actually asking them to come and do. Sometimes these job titles can be a little esoteric as to what folks are actually going to come in and do. Might say something kind of generic as to a certain type of associate when in fact I'm asking you to come in and actually clear carts from the parking lot. The more specific we can be, the more efficient we're going to be in that entire process, and the happier the candidate's going to be should they actually land in the job, because they're going to have a sense of transparency from the first point of contact with our organization all the way through the hiring process to, yeah, I'm good with this. This is what I want to do. They were very clear about it when I applied, and this is how I got into the organization. Yeah, I have a couple teenage daughters, and one of them was looking at a retail job last summer, and they have a kiosk in the store where you can apply. And she's like, I don't want to do it that way, Dad. I, w- right. I want to do it on my phone when I get home. And I said, I'm sure you can. But just that generational change in terms of how people want to approach things. And then to your second point, there's a place in almost every job application that says, you know, list your previous experience. She's like, I don't have any. I'm like, that's okay. You just put that. But it, it is a, a very different hiring landscape than perhaps what I had when I was growing up where you grabbed an application off the front desk and, and filled it out. It is absolutely different. And as organizations who have to deal with the type of seasonality and volume of hiring they have to execute and still place candidates who have been screened and do so efficiently and effectively, technology is now the lever to accomplish that. And the faster I get them through, either it's a job application process or even an onboarding experience, the less likely they're going to jump somewhere else. I mentioned a little earlier, Greg, that we have more and more applications that are available for folks to find other jobs. They pop up on my phone through Snag and other apps that, hey, there's another job available here. And so maybe I should be thinking about that if suddenly the process to get through my job application is taking too long. A lot of folks in this demographic don't have that kind of time to wait. The other thing that we hear a lot about with with these frontline workers is is what can companies do to to retain them? What kind of opportunities can they provide, whether it's skills or, or access to education? How do you think retailers are approaching teaching new skill sets to folks so that they can keep up with both the, the change demands of the job, but also to retain them and keep them working at that company? So I think there's a couple things in answering that question, Greg. First of all, I think in terms of how we engage and how we retain folks who come into these retail jobs really is an equation more than just money. We have to certainly be wage competitive, benefit competitive, but you know, scheduling is really important. I alluded to that earlier. You know, how easy is it to see my schedule and how easy it is it to get scheduled for hours I can work? So I think that's another consideration. The culture. So how do I feel about being in this organization? Do I feel it's a transparent organization that promotes openness from management down? Inclusion is certainly important. So again, we're bringing in workers from across a lot of different places and a lot of different demographics. So how are we ensuring that we have a culture of inclusion that makes people very clear about what that means to them personally and what it means to them to be in the company? So you know, I look at that. 
I think there's also the rise of the social enterprise. How do I view the company I'm with today and how they're placing themselves, you know, in terms of their social responsibility? Do I feel good about being here? And then I think lastly, the idea that I can see some degree of modeling. Who can I follow in this organization that has made it up the chain who came in the same way I did? Do I feel like because I came in in an hourly role working in a distribution center that there's a path for me to succeed? If I can see people who have done that, that changes my view on that potential path entirely. Then to get to the other half of it, how do I as an organization intervene and provide the type of training that's meaningful to help progress that path? So that I think that becomes another discussion about how training and meaningful training gets delivered and how we build these career paths for folks to generally move along that career journey from coming into maybe a distribution center, a cashier, a store job, and moving all the way up into potentially salaried management positions. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, we, we talked about a couple examples of, of teenagers or folks entering the workforce for the, for the first time. Uh, but those scheduling challenges, those transportation challenges are also important for someone who's, you know, perhaps got daycare challenges and they have a young kid. And, you know, that ability to, to give someone that transparency into what does this job look like? What does my schedule look like? Can I forecast ahead is important to so many different segments of this retail workforce. Absolutely, Greg. And I think it, it also communicates, am I as an organization ready to embrace you? with the type of commitment you can give me. You're gonna give me 100% when you're here, but I also have to be able to work with you to be flexible to all those points you just made about having daycare, about having maybe access to transportation that relies on the public bus schedule. So what flexibility am I giving to you as your employer to make sure that you can come here and give me your all when you're, when you're actually here? Do you have any good examples that you'd be willing to share of, of retailers who are really doing innovative and interesting things in terms of attracting and bringing talent on board? So I think the big retailers are all investing heavily in this space for some of the reasons I've talked about where we look at the cost of that kind of attrition and where we are better off pulling people back from a seasonal employment perspective than necessarily bringing fresh people in all the time and retaining them. Do you know, like how many folks get hired for the holiday season, like in rough numbers. Do you know? Oh, you might be looking at a 30 to 40% spike in total hiring for any individual retailer, right? So for some of the bigger retailers, companies like Amazon and Walmart who employ millions, certainly Amazon is less effective because of the nature of their business, but folks who have actual physical stores, it's a big deal. But You know, Amazon and e-commerce is an interesting pivot in my answer because now it gets into what does flux around the notion of the holiday rush. What we have going on that I think is another interesting challenge in the retail space is the competition for the I want it now mentality. So what can I do to kind of jump over the next bar to secure your interest as a consumer and me, the retailer? And we've seen whether it's brick and mortar retailers who have mixed plays with their physical presence like Walmart and Target and Kohl's and online and e-commerce or Amazon and, you know, more pure play e-commerce players, we're all trying to do things they are to be able to get us to stick with them. Some of those things are things like next day shipping. So that is a significant impact to a lot of areas of our business, impact our workers as well. Because when we start committing to next day shipping, what does that mean? Well, some things that have happened that people haven't talked a lot about is inventory carrying costs are going up. 
because I have to have all the stuff here to get it to you the next day. What does that also mean? I have to have people in logistics and supply chain who can make all that happen. And so we're seeing a mix of things to accomplish those outcomes, everything from the employees we hire to leveraging gig workers and other types of labor to actually fulfill that outcome. And you're seeing for maybe the more traditional brick-and-mortar retailers, you know, buy it online, pick it up in the store. So I get that opportunity to have that experience in the store, or at least curbside at the store, but it keeps me as a customer. But I think getting back to the question of how we attract and retain talent, I think when we look at a younger demographic, they want to be attached to an organization that appears like it's going in a direction of success. And we all recognize E-commerce, a digital presence is one that we are going to have more affinity to as someone in that age group and appreciating the direction of that organization and wanting to be part of it. And I think all of that then starts to impact the type of work people do. Because as organizations start to embrace more technology, they start to take some of the mundane less desirable jobs, and they're automating them. They're automating them either through actual physical robots, and we've seen examples of that with stocking robots. Walmart's a great example. We've seen that very cool video that shows how that actually works up and down the stores, scan shelves, and take some really mundane work from someone who now can focus on customer service. And really, that's what everyone gets excited about. Again, Walmart's a great example. They continue to embrace some principles that Sam Walton ingrained in that organization from the beginning. And their passion for customer service, the priority of customer service is something that I see throughout that culture. And I think that helps them as they look at the, you know, the workforce that they both attract and retain. When you think about robotics more broadly, are there other things that are sort of interesting applications of, of robotics, either physical robotics or even more on the robotic process automation side that's, that are happening in retail? So there's a lot of different things happening from a robotics perspective in retail. So if we talk about the physical robots, I think some of the technology being deployed around logistics and working in the stores to identify opportunities to stock and to optimize our stocking process helps better perform a job and also move a job out of the uh, realm of someone having to do something mundane and less desirable. I think the other thing is we talk about robotic process automation. And there's also cognitive and artificial intelligence that's being built into things like chat. So I was listening to someone who is running a chat-driven project from Home Depot talk on another podcast recently about how they're running some work around chatbots and actually engage consumers in the store and help direct them into the types of things they might want to actually buy. So that gets really sophisticated. And I think the way we're seeing RPA play out within the HR space, it is again taking repetitive mundane processes. It's automating them in a way that now allows some of the folks who would otherwise have to do that can now be reallocated to other types of customer service. When we look at HR, our customer is the associate, the employee. So how are we then able to say, I can now, from an HR perspective, not spend time transferring a bunch of data from one screen to the next or between two different systems or double-checking information I'm having to enter in different ways, but instead I can have RPA do certain things for me, and now my time is free to go do other work. Yeah, and that's, of course, the promise of, of a lot of those technologies is it's it's purely about what you talked about. It's like, let's let people work on things that only people can do and only people can do well. And the stuff that's more routine, mundane, have a machine do it. Well, and I think that gets to your point on how we look to retain talent. 
if we are having people doing a lot of mundane routine work, whether it is the stocking of the shelves or it is going through and re-entering HR data across systems, if I'm someone hourly engaged in that work, I can guarantee that will be the type of thing that will start to have them question, like, why am I doing this? This just seems really mundane. If they have peers who are at other organizations where they're like, oh, that's all automated. Here's what I get to do. Guess where they're going to look for their next job? So I think those become the types of things that we can do very tactically as uh, large retailers or smaller mid-sized to make a difference. So as we wrap up, if you think about the next year, year and a half or thereabouts, what three areas do you think retailers should really be focusing on when it comes to talent? So three areas to focus on when it comes to talent is, number one, I'm going to start at the top of the process. How do I keep it simple, efficient, and effective to identify and onboard talent? So what do I do all the way from the process of how I design the questionnaires um, to how I'm actually going through and vetting candidates that I can make sure that I'm balancing between I don't ask too much, but I ask the right questions. I go through and I assess them in a way that's meaningful, and I only land the interviews in the stores that I have to. So that's the first thing is take the first chunk of that life cycle of bringing someone to my organization, make it efficient, make it effective, and don't overburden the stores with a lot of interview appointments that don't make sense, where people haven't been aligned well enough to the type of work they're going to be asked to do, that suddenly I'm spending all kinds of time with people that don't really fit. And it's hard enough when we're setting time aside in a store to conduct these interviews. Maybe we're finding some that aren't well fit for the job. So I think that's one thing. The second is when we bring folks into the organization, how can we start to make that culture of inclusion um, and our culture something very obvious and engaging. So what sort of things can we do either through the training experience, through our coaching, through our performance evaluation processes that we have within um, our control to design and deliver that can start to get that message across clearly, early, and often? And then I think lastly, being able to allow them to see their peers and their and folks who they can model within the organization that look and feel like them, who maybe were that mom who had a balanced daycare and work, but have now risen through the ranks, have now moved forward in our, you know, in different management roles that provide them kind of that waypoint to say, that's someone I can actually model what I'm doing after. They started the same as me. How can I do that? And they've clearly done that here. That's fantastic. That's good advice for, for our listeners. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the battle for retail talent here on the Workday Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun, Greg. If you'd like to hear more, don't forget to subscribe. And thanks for listening. Thanks.